Chapter 8 of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, a Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter 8 A Forbidden Visit. Wrapping herself in her veil, Myra stole out into the narrow street and in another moment with timorous hand was pulling the bell rope that hung from the adjoining doorway. A Nubian slave admitted her. He had evidently received his instructions, for at the first faltering word he smiled broadly and beckoned her to follow. Myra shrank back a little before the man's bold gaze, being half-minded to slip away again to the safe shelter of home. As if reading her thought, the slave shut and locked the door. Then, with many bows and grimaces, which were evidently intended to reassure her, he again motioned her to advance. With a beating heart, she followed her guide through a long, dimly lit passageway, emerging at length into a large apartment, which opened directly upon a terrace, gay with masses of brilliant flowers. Curtains of green and white looped between the twisted columns of colored marble cast a cool light within upon the broad divans heaped with gay embroidered cushions, upon the gorgeously colored walls, upon the carved and gilded tables, laden with cups and vases of jade and ivory, which stood about in odd nooks and corners. The little Jewess in her dark robes seemed as much out of place in the midst of all this richness of color and ornament as a sad colored moth within the petals of a crimson rose. She stood looking about her in a maze of bewilderment, scarcely daring to move. Ah, my little neighbor, thou art come at last. Thou art welcome, even as the breeze from yonder mountain. Myra turned quickly with an involuntary cry. Nay, did I startle thee, little one? And her hostess broke into a light ripple of amusement. Come, lay aside thy veil, and sit by me on the divan. But I may not tarry, faltered Myra, drawing away a little from the touch of the white fingers. My husband, thy husband hath forbidden thee? Yes, it is so. I am a Gentile, and worse, therefore, than an evil spirit. But tell me, do I look like a devil, little neighbor? Myra looked seriously into the fair, smiling face, at the soft blue eyes, at the melting rose of the smooth cheeks, at the rippling waves of hair gathered under a coif of gold thread set with pearls. Then her eyes wandered to the strange and graceful dress which fell in long folds of pale rose-hued tissue about the slender figure. She sighed. Thou art like an angel, she said slowly. An angel? said the Greek woman. And what is an angel, little neighbor? Myra's eyes opened widely. An angel is... Why, angels dwell in the heavens. Knowest thou not? A goddess, then? Nay, I have often been called so. Not a goddess? Oh, no, cried Myra in horror. There is but one god in heaven. There are no goddesses. That is what the Jews believe, said the Greek, lifting her eyebrows. But now in truth, little neighbor, hast thou ever visited the heavens? Myra shook her head. 
Wise men and godly have written it in the scriptures, she began. Then she paused and twisted the corner of her mantle into a little knot. Also Jesus, the Christ, hath declared it. He came down from heaven, and therefore he knows, she finished triumphantly. Who is Jesus? He was the son of David, the Messiah. And what may that be? The king, to deliver Israel. Ah, yes, murmured the lady, indolently twisting the jewels on her white fingers. Where is he now? They killed him, crucified him, because he was so good, so wonderful, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, and even raising the dead to life. But I do not understand, little one. Who killed him? The Romans, yes, and the chief priests of the Jews who hated him. Hated their king and killed him. Nay, that was folly. Now he cannot deliver them. My husband says that he will save us from our sins. But he is dead, saidest thou. He became alive again and went up into the heavens. And dost thou believe this tale, little neighbor? said the Greek lady, admiring her perfectly molded foot in its jeweled sandal. Why is it better than the stories of Jove and of Venus, of Minerva, the good and wise goddess, of Apollo, of Mercury, and... They are heathen gods, cried Myra. It is a sin even to speak of them. The Greek shrugged her fair shoulders. Dost thou pray to this crucified man, who became alive again and went up into heaven? She asked, a mocking smile curling the corners of her lips. Assuredly, thrice every day, responded Myra with fervor. Then thou hast two gods in the heavens, and but now thou didst declare, Nay, there is but one God, declared Myra positively. I, I cannot tell thee how it is, she added confusedly. I am not wise and holy like my husband. At the thought of her husband, she sprang up from the divan. I must not stay any longer. My husband will... He will not beat thee, child, though stay. I am not so sure of that. Will he beat thee, thinkest thou? Beat me? Ah, no, said Myra with a little smile and sigh. He loves me far too well for that but he will be displeased and sorrowful because I have done that he forbade. He will not know, child, if thou hast thy wits about thee. Now for myself, I do not carry my heart in my hand and bring it to my Lord and say, Look thou, my master, here is my heart. Doth it please thee? Then, if he be displeased with aught that he sees there, sit me down to weep and bemoan myself. What know I of his life? I am but a fair plaything, a beautiful image on which to hang soft tissues and sparkling jewels. There are a thousand more fair to be had for the asking. Then thou dost not love him? cried Myra, a world of pity in her dark eyes. Love? echoed the lady with a light laugh of scorn. What is love? But come, we grow very dull and Diana knoweth when I shall again behold a human being other than a slave. I am alone here, she added in response to the inquiring look in the eyes of her guest. My husband is in Greece, and when he is absent I am kept like a prisoner by yonder black wretch who admitted thee. Thou shalt taste my conserve of rose leaves, if it please thee. Afterward I will show thee my jewels. She clapped her hands. 
Instantly the heavy curtains parted to admit several female slaves, laden with silver dishes containing various cakes and sweetmeats, together with tall crystal flasks of yellow Chian wine. Myra flushed scarlet, a confused remembrance of pharisaical laws and rabbinical precepts, suddenly overwhelmed her. Thou shalt not eat unclean, polluted, accursed, sounded the voice of her accusing conscience. She drew back and motioned away the tempting dish, which her hostess was pressing upon her. I cannot, she said faintly. I have already sinned, but wilt thou not eat with me? said the Greek, flushing in her turn. Nay, we live under the same sky, breathe the same air, drink and eat the fruits of the same earth, but thou art blessed and I am accursed. Know then that my people also despise the Jews, and yet I could have loved thee. Myra's warm heart was touched. I will eat with thee, she said stoutly. Afterward, well, I care not for the rabbis, except my husband, and she tossed her head defiantly. Her companion leaned forward and laid her white jeweled fingers caressingly on the little brown hand of the Jewish. This time there was no shrinking from her touch. Because thou hast done this thing for me, she said softly, I will go with thee to the temple of thy God and fetch an offering, and who knows, but that I may also believe on him. I would fain believe something. I am weary of unbelief. Myra's face grew bright. There were many Greek and even Syrian women who attended the worship at the synagogue. They were called proselytes, and although they were regarded with but scant favor by the native Jews, still they were numbered with Israel and were believed to be looked upon with toleration by Jehovah. Then thou wilt no longer be accursed, she cried joyfully, and I may see thee without fear. She thought almost with pleasure of the confession she must make to her husband. He can scarce be angry with me, she said within herself, if I have saved a soul from death. It will be very pleasant to be no longer accursed, remarked the Greek lady, lowering her eyelids with an inscrutable smile. But before I shall become one of the chosen, I must even pay one vow at the shrine of Diana. Thou shalt go with me. Tis but to drop a garland of roses at the feet of the goddess, and to give a silver lamp, which I have ordered fashioned into the hand of the priest. See, here it is. A pretty trifle, is it not? Myra looked with a certain awe at the mysterious figures which adorned the rim of the bowl. Is the temple very beautiful? she asked timidly. Very, very beautiful, replied the other, her eyes kindling. White marble without, as white as snow. Within the columns are veined with green and rose. Then there is the statue of the goddess, ivory overlaid with gold. But surely thou hast seen it? Never, said Myra sadly. It is a sin for us to look upon a heathen temple, much less to enter one. One must lift one's eyes to the heavens and repeat the Kaddish often in Damascus. There is a vulgar saying among my people, said the Greek, a merry light dancing in her blue eyes, that a thief might as well die for a bullock as for a calf. Thou hast already eaten bread with a heathen. Now come, and behold the glories of a heathen goddess. Thou shalt return anon and purify thyself according to thy law, and all will be well with thee. 
I should like to see it, acknowledged Myra hesitatingly. And after all, what harm, what harm indeed, broke in the other triumphantly. Egla, my mantle and veil. Rissa, command my litter to be brought. Within the hour, Myra had looked wonderingly upon the glories of the Greek temple. She had shrunken back a little and drawn her mantle more closely about her face when her companion paused before the shrine of the goddess, and she had closed her ears resolutely to the chanting of the white-robed priests. But now they were in the open air once more, and she drew a long breath of delight. The slow motion of the litter borne by four slaves, the stolen glimpses of the gay streets through the fluttering silken curtains seemed to intoxicate her. She laughed aloud. Her companion, who was attentively watching the flushed, sparkling face, sighed and then smiled. Was it so very evil, daughter of Abraham, she asked. It is an evil thing to pray to an image, said Myra unhesitatingly. But suppose I did not pray to the image at all, little neighbor, only to the goddess herself, of whom the image is but a token and visible sign. But there is no goddess, persisted Myra. As for the image, the commandment of Moses says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of anything, either in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters under the earth. What? No pictures? No statues? Nay, but this Moses is too hard, too severe. One must have beauty. But holy immortals, what is this? Is it that the furies are let loose? A wild clamor of shouts and fierce yells mingled with the shrill screaming of women, and the wails of children broke harshly upon their ears. At the same instant, the litter came to an abrupt standstill. The lady drew aside the curtains and leaned out. Proceed, she cried angrily to the bearers. What mean you by stopping here? It is impossible to proceed, my lady, said the Nubian slave who walked beside the litter. We must wait till the god has passed. What god? The god Baal. Today is the feast of torches. Draw the curtains closely and there is no danger. Diana and all the immortals defend us, murmured the Greek under her breath. Then she glanced apprehensively at her companion. The Jewess was peeping out from betwixt the silken curtains with a look of childish curiosity. Look, she cried, see the children wreathed with roses? Are they not beautiful? But why do they look so frightened? And the woman yonder is weeping. They will make them pass through the fire to their God, answered the other coldly. "'Tis a part of their worship. I saw it once. I do not wish to see it again. But hush, the god is near at hand. Myra trembled. The scarlet flush faded from her round cheeks. I, I am frightened, she faltered. I want to go home. I must go home, she repeated, her eyes brimming over with large tears. The white fingers of the Greek closed like a vice upon her arm. Fool, she whispered. Be quiet, or we are lost. The words were drowned in the horrid tumult of sounds that now broke forth, the clash of cymbals, the harsh braying of trumpets mingled with the beating of a thousand palms, while a thousand wild voices shrieked, Baal, Baal, bow the knee to Baal. The litter shook violently as the crowd surged back against it. Then, with a sudden sound of rending silk, the daylight flared in, followed by a rough, towsled head. 
By the shrine of Ashtoreth, cried a voice, here are two fair ones who have veiled their beauty from the light of day, but they shall come forth and bow the knee to Baal, to whom belongeth all beauty and excellence. Dog, cried the Nubian, felling him to the earth. Then he seized his mistress by the arm. Come, there is no time to lose. There are five of us. We can save you. Instinctively, Myra had thrown herself into the crowd from the opposite side, and not a moment too soon, for the litter torn from the shoulders of the bearers was instantly trampled into a shapeless mass beneath the feet of the mad multitude. Baal! Baal! Bow the knee to Baal! shrilled the rabble of yellow-robed priests, and with loud answering cries the great struggling mass of men, women, and children sank to their knees all save Myra, who stood looking about her with a vacant, glassy stare, like one who dreams a frightful dream and strives in vain to awaken. End of chapter 8